Cleve told Jason Rance of KTTH they also arrested six other people in connection with the case, and it's not known if they are still in custody. You can commemorate Juneteenth and find a unique Father's Day gift online today. Our very own Cairo Radio guest host, Dre's, will be overseeing a virtual marketplace of local Black-owned businesses. The online shopping event can be found at buildingblackwealth.tv. You can also head to Judkins Park, where the Northwest African American Museum and the City of Seattle Parks and Rec will present the Juneteenth Jamboree, 12 to 6 today, food, family fun, even a soccer clinic with the Sounders. Your forecast today is partly sunny, partly cloudy, with a high of 75 and a low of 56. Right now it's 55 degrees in downtown Seattle. I hope you have a great Saturday. I'm Katherine Federer. Cairo Radio News. Tell your smart speaker to play Cairo Radio here for What's Next. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. A special program here for you today. Last week on the show... I made the announcement that after 36 years, uh, Gene and I are leaving Edelman Financial Engines, the firm that we founded back in the 1980s, and which has now grown to become perhaps the largest independent registered investment advisory firm in the country, managing some, what, $270 billion in assets for about 1.3 million households around the country. We're not really retiring We have a lot of other activities and a lot of other interests, some of them philanthropic, uh, many of them business interests that we'll be focusing on, uh, among them Alzheimer's disease, our emphasis on longevity and retirement security, retirement readiness through the Funding Our Future Coalition, the work we do with the Milken Institute on Aging and the Stanford Center on Longevity. And I'm very heavily involved, as you know, in the world of Bitcoin, blockchain, digital assets through the company I created three years ago, the RAA Digital Assets Council. And we're very heavily involved philanthropically with a number of organizations, most prominently Rowan University, where we're building the visitor center and museum for the Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park, and also continuing our support for the Edelman Planetarium, uh, the attitude that we need to maintain America's leadership in uh, the global economy And the best way to do that is through innovation, and you achieve innovation through science and engineering and math. And the only way to get kids to study science is to get them excited about science, and no better way to get a six-year-old excited about science than have them stare at the sky and look at the stars or dig in the ground for fossils and get to take home whatever they want. And so the planetarium and fossil park are really very exciting for us. And if Jean, of course, will continue her work on well-being, helping folks with nutrition, health, and relationships. But the issue here is the one that I really want to focus on with you today. It's not what's Rick and Gene up to. The issue is for you because what is happening at the moment for Gene and me is something that 
is going to happen to you too. And frankly, may already be happening to you. You're in your 50s, perhaps, uh, perhaps in your 60s, and you know that you aren't going to continue doing what you're doing for much longer. Something you couldn't have contemplated back in your 20s and 30s, perhaps because you're tired of what you're doing. Perhaps you're being forced out. An awful lot of occupations are just very physically demanding and and continuing to do that in your 60s and 70s isn't something that you're physically able to do. So what's next? And to understand how important it is for you to prepare for what's next. Something I've just discovered in the past few weeks as Gene and I have been going through our own transition. I've realized I've made a very significant omission in the course of my 36-year career here as a financial advisor at Edelman Financial Engines and on these airways for nearly 30 years. And to talk about that omission and to help us sort it through and help you prepare for your future, I am extremely excited to bring on to the program for this hour Dr. Ken Dykewald, PhD. Ken has been on this show many times in the past, and you know him well. He is the founder and CEO of AgeWave, focused on the social and business implications and the opportunities of aging and our rising longevity. Ken's client list includes half the Fortune 500. He has twice received the American Society on Aging Award for Outstanding Leadership. American Demographics called him the single most influential marketer to baby boomers over the past quarter century. And he was named by Investment Advisor as one of the 35 most influential thought leaders in the financial services industry for the past 35 years. And last year, in 2020, he was the first person to ever receive the new Pioneer Award from the Retirement Coaches Association. Ken, thanks so much for joining us once again on the program. Always good to be with you, Rick. I want to acknowledge this omission, and I want you to react and respond to this. We have devoted our lives... Uh, our careers here at Edelman Financial Engines to helping our clients prepare for retirement financially, how to make money, how to save money, how to invest money, how to manage that money, and ultimately distribute it to family and heirs upon their passing. What I now realize I didn't do over these past 36 years is provide much assistance in anticipating what they're going to do with their lives once they have, in fact, left that career at age 62 or 65 or what have you. Now, back in the day, it wasn't an issue for my grandfather, but for us, we're retiring still under that old methodology, retiring in our 50s and 60s, but today we have life expectancies of another 20, 30, 40 years. And nobody's ever really talked about that to me. I've not talked about it with my clients. So share with me your reaction to that. Yeah, you know, I was reading Michener's Hawaii again recently. He wrote it in 1959. And the first pages of it, Rick, he describes how tectonic plates were grinding against each other deep below what we now think of as Polynesia. And uh, until after enough of that went on, came rising up these gorgeous islands. And as you well know, for 100,000 years now, we have been trying to have an impact on health and disease and allow more people to live long lives. And guess what? Uh, It's happening. And so exactly as you say, that when our grandparents reached retirement age, they were pretty amazed to know that they had lived that long and were just kind of appreciative of that. And they knew they might have a couple of years of wind down before 
you know, their batteries expired. Our parents' generation, they began to have a little bit of time, maybe 10 years they imagined their retirement would be, and they kind of viewed it as a vacation. That was the idea of retirement. If you like going fishing, well, then you'll have more time to go fishing. If you like golf, you'll have more time to play golf. And if you like to walk on the beach, you'll have walk on the beach time, round the clock, 24-7, 365 days a year. But you landed on it, and you and Gina are right in the middle of it now, which is, wait a minute, if you're in your early 60s, and for one reason or another, you're kind of shifting yourself out of a career, you literally, Rick, I mean, you may only have a week in your life, but you may have 35 years in front of you. What the heck are you going to do with yourself? And it's not just a matter of how am I going to fill my time. By the way, last year, the average retiree watched 47 hours of television a week. So that's not so great. So let's think big for a second. Let's think Edelman-like. If you knew that you're going to have 30 or 35 years of life and you have the smarts that you have and the wealth that you've accumulated and an intact and loving relationship and big ideas about all sorts of things from technology to exponential thinking to longevity to Alzheimer's disease to blockchain and cryptocurrency, if you knew all of that, what might you turn yourself into in the years to come? And what I want to tell you is is that, you know, there's 70 million people today in America who are retired, and every day 10,000 more retire. And this is a highly educated, highly motivated generation of people. And I think a lot of people are scratching their heads and saying, wow, who am I going to be next? And how does one reinvent oneself? And how do you figure out if you want to work full-time or part-time, and does it matter if you're getting paid because there's a lot of pro bono and volunteer opportunities that could really change the world. So this question of what's a financial advisor to do, which you mentioned, I think in the years to come, financial advisors will not only talk to you about your money, but your life. Or there's going to be universities and academies and summer camps so that people can reinvent themselves in their retirement years because you have a lot of people now heading into a period of life that never really existed before that offers incredible opportunity, and yet most people aren't sure what to make of it. And I think that that's the fascinating element of this, and we're going to pick up this conversation right where we're leaving it off. When we return here on The Rick Edelman Show, we're going to continue chatting with Ken Dykewald, the founder and CEO of AgeWave and the nation's preeminent expert on aging and longevity in America. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. the publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We're talking with Ken Dykewald, Ph.D. He's the founder and CEO of AgeWave and the nation's preeminent thinker on aging and longevity. And we're talking about the notion that we spend an awful lot of effort in our country helping our children prepare for their future. 
We get our kids into reading and writing as quick as possible. We get them into preschool. We get them then into elementary ed. We focus them on planning for a college education or into the trades. We get them focusing on their career to develop skills and knowledge so they can earn a good income, have a good living, save a lot of money. They achieve that goal, and at age 60-something, they're done, except that they're not done. They're only barely in middle age. The work that we're doing at Stanford's Center on Longevity and at the uh, Milken Institute, Ken, you're, you're along with me on the advisory board at their Institute on the Study of Aging, and it is commonly acknowledged within the experts of this field, including you, Ken, that people alive in 2030 are highly likely to be living to age 100 and potentially even longer than that. So if you're retiring at 60, 65, you're really barely in middle age. And we haven't prepared anybody for that fact because it's such a new phenomenon. And so, Ken, what is it that people need to do to start doing to rethink what their future is likely to all be about? First of all, it's a fantastic opportunity we all have. I mean, some of your Listeners might think, oh, no, what am I going to do with all that time? And am I going to have enough money? And do I like living where I'm living? And is my marriage the one I want to be? I mean, you know what? Those are all real questions. And it's sort of amazing that we are the first humans really in history, in mass, to be able to contemplate the idea of what to do with this longer life. I'll give you an example. When John Glenn, decades ago, announced that he was going to go back up into space at 77, I was asked if I would provide commentary on one of the networks. And I did. But right before that, I watched him be interviewed. And a lot of the young reporters were saying, hey, don't you think you're a little old for this? What happens if you, you, know, you have a heart attack? How come you're not puttering around the house? And Glenn turned to these reporters, and he was a tough guy. I knew Glenn. He turned to these reporters and he said, hey, just because I'll be 77 doesn't mean I still don't have dreams. Wow. And Rick, I got to tell you, when I heard him say that, I thought, you know what? I think a lot of us think only young people have hopes and dreams. And then by the time you're 40 or 50, you either achieved them or you didn't. And then you go to the sidelines. What Glenn was sort of signaling was that era is over. And that if you can still have new dreams when you're 62, you can want to write your first book when you're 71. If you're widowed or divorced, maybe you're going to fall in love and have the love of your life. Or maybe you were kind of a low-key worker, but you've always had an idea and you want to become an entrepreneur at 65. And I think we're about to see the new frontier is not, I know, how quickly Jeff Bezos can deliver groceries to our home, which is, you know, that's a pretty great accomplishment. I think the new frontier is going to be seeing what 60 and 65-year-olds make of themselves with all of their emotional intelligence, all of their connections, and all of their years in front of them. And frankly, I feel the same about you and Gene. You're a singular guy, Rick. I mean, who else on this planet? has had their finger on the pulse of the economy, of people, of investing, and have tried to do good while you're doing well. And now you reach a point in your life where you know more than you've ever known before, and you've got health and power like you've never had before. And so I would hope, as your friend and as an admirer and as a fan of your teachings, to think, oh, I hope you don't just sort of wind it up, you know, because you've reached the top of your game. One of the big, I would have to say, dumb mistakes we make in this country is we take people when they're at the top of their game, and then we move them to the sidelines. And 
I mean, that's just plain foolish. Now, I think young people are great. They got great energy. They're attractive. They come up with cool new ideas. But honestly, if you think that you can just sort of move 60-year-olds to the sidelines, because that's what we did in the 1950s, you're missing the future. I do want to say one other thing about this, and you touched on it. My kids are now 31 and 34. By the way, both fans of Rick Edelman. Um, and um, when they were coming through high school, there was a huge amount of attention placed on, okay, do you want to go into the military? Do you want to start a job? Do you want to go to college, small college, big college? How are you going to pay for it? What are you going to study? There were counselors. There were visits. There was a lot of drama. And then they made the decision, and if it didn't work, you could transfer just for four years. So here are guys like you and I or our friends and wives and loved ones. You could be 60 or 63, and you might have 35 years in front of you. There's no counseling program. There's no college. There's no course to take on what to make of this next chapter of your life. And uh, I think that's a big, glaring hole that needs to be filled. And that is exactly the issue, is that we haven't prepared anybody for this. At Edelman Financial Engines, a big internal focus now is on the development of life planning services to our clients, not merely financial planning, for exactly this reason, that life doesn't end when the career ends, when the job ends. So many of us are our work, and our lives revolve around our work. Our social network revolves around our coworkers and colleagues in the profession that we are in where we live, all tied in with all of that. And yet when the work piece is gone, when that paycheck is gone and the employment is gone, we're kind of left in a vacuum because we never contemplated that there needs to be a there to replace what has been lost. You know, there's got to be a there there. What I want you to elaborate on, Ken, because we've talked about this so many times offline, the reason that society doesn't really do much to help people prepare for the next chapter of their lives. Talk about Madison Avenue's regard for old people. <laughs> oh, boy, we're getting into some fun stuff here. First, um, yeah, let me start where, where you just ended. So we live in a culture that's, uh, there's a lot more attention over this last few years on our various isms, our ignorance, our discrimination, our prejudices. And, and one of those is, let's call it ageism which is a word that was coined in the 1970s by the founder of the National Institutes on Aging, who happened to be my mentor, a guy named Robert Butler, who called it a psychiatric disorder. It was a discomfort with older people and a discomfort with one's own aging process. So when we had the baby boomers come along after World War II, not only did this massive bunch of us arrive, uh, but also modern marketing as we know it. I was looking this up the other day that in 1946, when the first boomer arrived, there were only 6,000 television sets in all of America. And then TV took off. And then all of a sudden, you could start marketing to 5-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 17-year-olds because they were watching American Bandstand or they were watching you know, a Disney show or something. And they'd go to their parents and say, hey, I want one of these dolls or I want one of these hula hoops. And eventually, I'd like a Mustang. But marketing as we know it, geared itself to young people because there was an idea and the idea was is that people were going to make decisions about who they were between 15 and 25 that they would stick to for life so this is the kind of toothpaste i use i will always use it this is the kind of car i'm going to drive i will always drive that kind of car uh these are the kinds of shoes i wear 
I'll always wear those shoes. By the way, if any of that were true, I'd be wearing Tomacan shoes and, you know, still using English leather and, you know. And driving an Oldsmobile. It's ridiculous. And, you know, and and there was also the belief because that older generation at that time were very frugal, having grown up in the Depression. They weren't compelling consumers and very set in their ways. And so even if you watch TV tonight, you'll if you read the reviews tomorrow, it'll talk about such and such, such and such program really won out with the sought after youth demo. And so they believe that people over 50 are really not that appealing because they're not buying stuff. Excuse me. 70% of all the wealth in America is held by people over 50. They buy more cars than any other age group. They buy more software, more technology, more clothes, more travel, more health care, more prescription medications than any other age group. And guess what? Just like you began this program, the 60 or 70-year-old of today is not set in their ways. They're trying new things. They're trying to figure out where to go next and who to be next and what kind of home they want to live in, and what's all this new tech. And so there's a blunder going on. By the way, it's made worse by the fact that the advertising industry is perhaps the most ageist industry in the country. Let me explain. The average age of people who work in the advertising industry in a management-level job is 38. That's 10 years younger than just about every other industry. And the average age of all the creative directors in America, the people who are creating the images that make us feel kind of left behind if we're older, the average age is 28, and 89% of them are men. So wait a minute. Women over 50, your wife, my wife, are becoming the power consumer group in this country. To deny them, to disrespect them, to tell them that they've got to look like they're 25 or they're nobody, big mistake. And so it's in this environment that we find ourselves as we are finding ourselves entering our second chapter. We're not preparing for it because nobody, our parents and our school teachers and our employers didn't tell us to prepare. They didn't teach us to prepare or show us how to prepare. Nobody ever did it before. Our parents never had to deal with this issue. Our grandparents, great-grandparents, nobody had to deal with it before. So we didn't realize we had to either. And as a result of all of this, we are now finding ourselves on that precipice with no plan and no understanding of expectations or even of the opportunities that exist. And we're going to continue this conversation with Ken Dykewald to help you sort it through, to figure out what is your future going to be like? What are you truly going to be when you grow up? Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Joining me on this uh, special program is Dr. Ken Dykewald, Ph.D., the founder and CEO of AgeWave, widely regarded as the nation's preeminent expert on the study of aging, and we're talking about our next chapter. Uh, I made the announcement last week that Gene and I are leaving Edelman Financial Engines, the company we founded 36 years ago, and ending this radio show this fall, now in its 30th year. And we are embarking on what's next. I just turned 63, Gene's younger than me, and I'm barely in middle age because all the scientists in the field of geriatrics and medical innovation are all saying that people alive in 2030 
can be expected to live to age 100 even longer, 110, 120. And so at age 63, I'm barely halfway there. And nobody has ever prepped me for this. Not even me. I'm an award-winning financial advisor. And we have never really dealt with the issue of helping our clients. We help them financially prepare, but we don't help them emotionally or psychologically deal with what are you going to do once you uh, leave that full-time career? Yeah, let me land on a couple of those great points just efficiently. First of all, a lot of us decided on a career when we were too young and kind of dopey to even know what life was. I mean, think about it. Most of us have spent our lives doing what some 19-year-old version of us thought would be a great way to spend our life. Or we were trying to please our parents, or we didn't know what the options were. You reach 50 or 60, and I like to call it rather than middle age, I like middle essence, you know, because I think it's a time of vital kind of reimagining. I think when you get to be 50 or 60, Rick, this may be a surprise, but it's possible that your best work and your best life may be what you do next. And that's a tricky thing because what you've been doing over the last 35 years is amazing. But it's possible that it's been a warm-up for what's coming. And I've met more and more people. I'll give you an example. I'm very close friends with President Carter. And I've actually met a number and worked with a number of the U.S. presidents, Democrats, as well as Republicans. I spent his birthday with him when he was 79, President Reagan, and I worked with President Bush on things. But here was Carter, who most people would agree was an okay and not great president. But he was a fabulous former president. Yeah. He became an amazing author. His Habitat for Humanity projects, his humanitarian efforts around the world. So here is a guy that after his career ended, and ended unpleasantly, he came into himself. More and more, I think we're going to see people who, whatever they did, whether they were successful or not, they're going to find that in their 50s or 60s, they know themselves better. There are new options. They may decide they want to play the piano because when they played when they were young, they liked it, but nobody told them they're any good. You know what? Who cares? Or they may decide that they've got some entrepreneurial idea. I'm sure some of your listeners who've been working for some company or some corporation have got a better idea that they've been harboring. You may be surprised to know that the most successful entrepreneurs in America are not the young whiz kids in Silicon Valley. In the last 20 years, the most successful entrepreneurs in our country have been between 55 and 65 years old. But they don't make the covers because of that youth. You know, we want to show the young, cool whiz kids. It's those middle-aged people who are retiring from the military or from public service or they you know, got let go of by a job and decide, you know what? I think there's a need for this, and that's what I'd really love to do. I'll say one other thing, that not everybody wants to work full-time in their later years. Maybe part-time, maybe working on gigs, maybe being involved with a project, or as you've done, Rick, you've created sort of a portfolio. You know, I've watched you now through our friendship for years. It's not just that you are a something You've got sort of a portfolio. Wait a minute. This guy is what? He's the leading financial advisor in the history of planet Earth, and also he's built a dinosaur park? And wait a minute. He's also building a planetarium? Wait a minute. He's funding Alzheimer's research? Wait a minute. You are creating a portfolio of interests, and I think we're going to see that more and more because in a short-lived world, you had to pick a career and stick to it in order to kind of you know build your skills and make some money. But in a longer-lived world, you get the chance to have a portfolio of interests, 
And some of the new ones may even be more gratifying than the ones that people had when they were younger. It is fun. You're absolutely right. I've often said that it is silly for people to fail to apply to their careers the fundamental strategies that they apply to their investments. You know, we endorse and tout and argue for all the time the notion of diversification. It's the single most fundamental element of investment management philosophy. And we're champions of this and always have been here at Edelman Financial Engines. Uh, Extensive, broad diversification of assets. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And our clients own an incredible array of stocks, bonds, and the mutual funds and ETFs that invest in them and exponential technologies. And they'll have exposure to emerging markets and foreign assets and uh, natural resources and precious metals and on and on and on. And yet, they will get a single paycheck. And that's it. One W-2 is all they get. And they have all their eggs in one basket. What happens if something happens to that employer or to that job? I remember talking about exponential technologies a a couple of years ago in, in a seminar. And I was talking about the fact that over the next 15 years, about half of America's occupations are going to go away due to innovation. Robotics and artificial intelligence are key reasons for this. And that you need to start planning now in your career, ask yourself, is your occupation going to disappear? And if so, start planning now for your next career so that you're not blindsided by the pink slip without any recourse. And a woman came up to me at the end of that presentation and she said, I don't have to worry about this. I said, why not? She said, I'm a CPA. I said, oh, good for you. So you're not worried that the field of accounting is going to be at risk. She said, no, everyone's going to always have to deal with accounting. So I'm good. And I said, great. Who do you work for? And she said, Toys R Us. I wasn't going to argue with her as to whether CPAs are safe. I could have that argument, but I won't. Her employer didn't survive due to innovation. Amazon destroyed Toys R Us. So you've really got to think it through. And the best way, as you noted, is the gig economy. Instead of having a single paycheck, why don't you have 10 small paychecks? Why don't you have income coming from a lot of different sources? I mean, Ken, you're a prolific writer. You are on the lecture circuit. You're one of the most sought-after speakers at conferences, and I've seen you on stage dozens of times, and you're one of the most highly successful public speakers touring the field. You are the head consultant of the firm you've created at AgeWave. You are serving on boards. You're all over the place. And some of our most successful clients financially are doing likewise. They diversify their incomes because we're multifaceted people, and having a single source of a paycheck just strikes me as risky and uh, something that fails to live up to your potential. Yeah, and let me give you an example, and I've never talked about this publicly. I've got an older brother who I'm very close with. He's, he's three years older than me, and he spent his entire life working in the financing home-building world. He did fine. Then my mom and dad became ill. And my dad became blind from macular degeneration. My mom had Alzheimer's. So my brother relocated from New Jersey to live near and then in the home with my parents to look after them. He was incredible. He's a good, good man. But he was sad because he wasn't with his friends and he wasn't doing anything he liked. And I said to him, I said, Alan, when we were kids, you used to like to play the drums. He says, oh, I haven't played the drums for 50 years. 
I says, let me sign you up for some lessons while you're there in Florida so you can have something to do. Well, my brother went to his first drum lesson, and he was giddy with excitement. And then week after week after week, and before you know it, he was managing a band, and then another band, and then he built a band. And now my brother's a full-on musician. Hmm. And the year before COVID, he had 91 gigs. Wow. And, you know, he gets paid a little bit of money, but you know what? He's having the time of his life. And what he realizes was he spent most of his life in a career that really didn't make him happy. But he's always loved music, and now he's returned to it. You might have listeners saying, you know, I always love to coach volleyball. Why don't I do that again? Or I'd like to be a student. Why don't I go back to college? Or, I mean, there are so many ways that we could reignite ourselves, and I think that's part of the challenge, that rather than being on automatic pilot, each and every one of us has got to say, hey, if I'm going to think about doing what I want to do, what's going to bring me pleasure. And as you said, during COVID, more and more people came to grips with the idea that how do I do things that really matter, that life is short and wasting my time or wasting my skills is not what I want to do. What would I really like to do that really matters? And by the way, sometimes when people reach their 60s, it's not even about the money. It's about doing things that are stimulating and feel like they're, you know, lighting up all your burners. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ken Dykewald, the founder and CEO of AgeWave, the nation's preeminent thinker on aging and longevity. And we're going to talk about a new study you just released this week about how people are reacting to the pandemic. So stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. My special guest, Dr. Ken Dykewald, the founder and CEO of AgeWave. He's the preeminent thinker, gerontologist, and psychologist on the area of aging. This radio show has been on the air for 30 years. Can never in my radio career have I had a single guest on for the entire hour. So thank you, my friend, for doing that with me today. Thank you. I'm flattered. You just released uh, from AgeWave this week a study on what the pandemic did to people emotionally, psychologically. 76%, according to your research, say that the pandemic has gotten them to focus on what's most important in life. And 63% are giving themselves an A or a B on spending their time in purposeful ways. That's a 13% increase over last year. Talk about, perhaps I've been trying hard to find it, the silver lining in the pandemic. Yeah, and first I want to thank, we did do this particular study in partnership with Edward Jones. I know that they're a competitor of Edelman Financial Engines, but hey. That's okay. Here we are. There's a few things that we learned. First, over the last year, we've now studied about 14,000 Americans, and we've been tracking how they're doing as a result of the pandemic with regard to what we're calling the four pillars of the new retirement, and that's finances, as you know, important, but also family, health, and purpose. And here's a couple of three of the highlights. First of all, everybody got dinged pretty hard, uh, as we know, financially, but the people who got hit the hardest were young people. Interestingly, older people, retirees who had the safety nets of Social Security, Medicare, market value, $12,000 a year, 
and 78% of retirees own their own homes, which is a good thing. All of a sudden, we found that young people were losing their jobs, losing their health insurance, homeschooling their kids, you know, in a terrible time. And so young got hurt more. And then we learned that older people had a kind of a gratitude, a resilience. Huh. We often like to portray older people as, you know, they're falling down and can't get up. Quite the opposite. We found that during the pandemic, older people were standing taller and feeling more emotional intelligence and more power within their family and communities. What's another thing we notice? What's people's biggest financial fear? Health and long-term care costs. What? Well, yeah, because people have been watching friends and relatives in nursing homes or in home care, or they're realizing our health care system falls really short. The average couple on retirement day needs $450,000 out of pocket to cover for health and long-term care costs. That's been a wake-up call. One other big realization, that older people feel like they're not being put to good use. About 90% of the retired population in America say, you know what, I could be doing so much more for my community and my family and the world at large, but I don't quite know how to plug in. And then we asked them, okay, how many hours a week would you like to help or volunteer? And the average was about 33 you add that up over the next 20 years, it's about 238 billion hours of highly skilled, intelligent, emotionally intelligent time waiting to be put to good use. And the last thing I want to say is that it's a different mosaic, Rick, coming out of COVID we've seen in our study for men and women. Women had their confidence smashed during COVID and it never came back. Uh, men's got hit and it's been rebounding with the market. Women live longer than men, and they don't get a lot of education either about how are you going to handle things if you outlive your husband and who's going to manage your money, and do you feel comfortable with your financial advisor who maybe hasn't paid much attention to you? And the other thing I want to say, and this may be startling to you because you're such a master at understanding numbers, if you take that 82 cents on a dollar, the women's pay gap, and you roll that over a lifetime, it becomes a $469,000 pay gap just by being a woman. And then if you add in the fact, like we've seen during COVID, that women will be the first to have to care for their kids or maybe even a husband or a parent, that those career interruptions can take another half a million dollars out of women's earning potential over the course of a lifetime. So here you have women who are going to outlive men whose confidence has been damaged, and who really have a lot more hard work to do to try to get their retirement savings up to par. And I think that uh, this is a time that we open our eyes and we realize that, that the future generations of women are going to increasingly be the powerhouses in, with regard to managing money and families and even activities and communities. Mm. Hey, and by the way, I know your wife, and I know that a lot of people think you're all that, but all those who know the Edelmans know that it's really Gene that's the, that's the wise one behind your team. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that, as everyone who knows me and Gene is well, <laughs> well, well aware. Um, Ken, you're, you're now 71 years old. You've written 17 books on aging and longevity over the past 45 years. Now you've just written a memoir. Talk about your memoir, and why'd you write it, and why now? Well, yeah, I got sort of nutty productive during COVID. I first Last year, I published a book called What Retirees Want, A Holistic View of Life's Third Age that's meant to be all the things you were referring to, kind of a map. 
for what about housing? What about recreation? What about school? What about romance? What about, you know, money? But I will tell you that the memoir was an odd one for me, and, and here's what sparked me to do it. We were doing research at H-Wave a few years ago. By the way, the memoir is called Radical Curiosity, One Man's Search for Cosmic Magic and a Purposeful Life. What got me writing it was, first, my dad passed away about eight years ago, and I love my dad. You know, we butted heads a lot, but I missed him, and it made me realize that at some point, you know, my time's going to come. And I have been doing research on inheritance. And in the world of financial services, we view inheritance as simply the dividing up, you know, the assets and real estate and so on. But in religious traditions in the 1500s, they believe that every person should have both a material will, this is what I own, this is how I want it distributed after I'm gone, but also everyone should have, it was an odd phrase, but an ethical will. An ethical will was that it's up to each of us to gather our lessons, to gather our stories, to gather what we might have learned from our lessons about how to be a better person or how to be more successful or how to be a better dad and make those available for future generations. So I thought, you know, for my kids, and maybe one day if they have kids, I'm going to gather up my lessons. You know, what did I learn from President Reagan? What did I learn from John McCain? What did I learn from Maggie Kuhn, the head of the Great Panthers? What have I learned from trying to be a businessman? And and what emerged was that a lot of my friends who knew I was working on this, first of all, they said, we've never seen you have more fun writing than you did gathering your life lessons. But they also said, Ken, this may be your best writing. It's kind of from your heart. And these lessons have relevance not only for other baby boomers, but millennials too, because you know you've you've taken a lot of risks in your life. People have said to me, and and you've gotten to learn from some great teachers. And since we're all on the path of self-discovery, why not make your lessons more available as a memoir? And so that just came out a few months ago, and it's been doing great. And I'm even getting some interest in possibly having a movie made of it. And it is perfect as a movie script because the book, I would call it shockingly fun. The stories you tell are shocking and fun. And it's a lively and amazing read. And it does, I think, would work really well as a script. We've got a minute or two left. Tell us, since we're going to live longer lives, what advice would you give us? Number one, take really good care of your body. Number two, at the end of the day, it's not what you've got in your portfolio, but it's the people who love you and you love. And number three, Figure out how to reinvent yourself. We're all going to get knocked down, or we're all going to see new possibilities. So really good care of your body. Build your network of people who you care about and who care about you. Be ready to reinvent yourself. And last, I would say, uh, let your mind go from time to time to things that are bigger than you uh, and to times on earth beyond our own time. And whether that's through faith or spirituality or just you know big thinking, I think that to uh, to open yourself up to the bigger picture is a is a wonderful thing to keep doing as you age. That's Dr. Ken Dykewald, Ph.D., the founder and CEO of AgeWave, the nation's preeminent thinker on aging and longevity here in America. Ken, thanks so much for being with us on the show today. Rick, I'm so flattered to be your friend and to have a chance to have these kinds of discussions with you and your audience. Thanks for joining us on the program today. A very happy Father's Day to all of you who are celebrating that. And welcome to summertime as well. All very exciting as uh, we move toward warmer weather. There's a lot more to the Rick Edelman Show this week. Our full podcast online is filled with additional stories and topics, 
including a continued conversation about the potential new treatment for Alzheimer's and its possible implications on public policy. All that and more on this week's podcast at rickedelman.com. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. 